The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! It's very hot in here. I need you to step out of the car in this desert. Just step out of the car. I need you, you to, to get out. Yeah, get, please get out of the car. Well, I don't. God, I mean, I'm. There's nothing just around. Get out here, of here. So I don't know if I really want to. Just get out of here, Paul. Get out of here! Can't you see we don't want you anymore? Why can't you go back where you came from? Just go. Just get out of here, Paul. <laughs> Was that it? I don't. <laughs> don't argue with me. I, I don't. I don't like this podcast anymore, Paul. Just go. Just oh, James, go. I, uh... I don't. Don't make me cry, Paul. Just go. 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 But James, you friend, me am loyal to you. I'm not your friend anymore. Oh, James. <laughs> Just go. <laughs> Hi. Hi, I'm James Kaminsky, co-host of this Jack White podcast that we call... The Third, Third, the Third Men Podcast. Yes, and I am your other co-host, Paul Kaminsky, and um, James, I was I was definitely with you on the car thing, and I was going to have us be stopped at, like, a red light and waiting for the signal to go, and I, so when you started doing it, I was like, oh, we're on the exact same page, and then you, you were like, no, you're a dog in this scenario. Well, like, I was going for more of a Harry and the Henderson thing, like, you're more of a Sasquatch, Paul. <laughs> 
Oh, man. James, um, I'm very excited about the episode today, James. I'm very excited as well, Paul. For those of you who don't know, this is a Jack White history podcast in which we go over Jack White shows and bands and Jack White adjacent bands and tours and TV shows and movies yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And today, our topic, we're going over a band that Jack White was a part of, The Go. Ah, oh, The Go. And I, uh, let me tell you, I, n- I never knew really much about them. It was the Vault Pack that kind of opened my eyes to them and that fan documentary um, Candy Colored Blues which has interviews from them and stuff so that w- that was really my my first introduction to them but they sound good they sound like a proper band and it was in the uh, late 90s and there's there's a little bit of overlap I think with the Stripes but yeah this is a really interesting topic I'm psyched to learn more about them James yeah Jack White was a part of them just briefly for their first album and then the stripes were formed at that point and he was touring with them and the go at the same time for a little while but yeah so it's a it's a brief stint but we're gonna in this episode go over how the band started when jack white entered the band and how that went about and then also what happened after jack white left and their ongoing history because the go are still a band paul they're still putting out music that's awesome but before we get to all that, James. Uh, is there something we should stop doing, Paul? Oh, breaking down. Stop breaking down. Stop breaking down. James, Stop Breaking Down is a segment of the show where we talk about things we got wrong or uh, generally screwed up on on episodes prior. <laughs> and um, we have listeners who send in those points. And this one was sent in by Jeremy Riles, as always, keeping us on the rails. So thank you, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. So in episode 33, we were discussing the hidden tracks that are on the uh, inside of the record, on the labels that are different speeds. What we had said was that we didn't want to rip up the label in order to play the records. But in fact, the label is pressed in such a fashion that you could just play them over top of the label, Paul. Yeah, so we said in error that you had to lift up the sticker. You don't. I think we knew that. We just got it wrong. That's going to be my excuse. Uh, and just, it was uh, it was an error. You know, whoops. Whoopsie whoops, doodle. Oops. You know, it's funny, though. Not every record player will actually play, will actually allow the arm to actually go that far in. Yeah. Uh, we, either way, we do appreciate it, Jeremy. And thanks for keeping us on the rails there, Jeremy Riles. Yeah, next time we'll stop breaking down. So, Paul, do you want to go and get into it? <laughs> Let's go and get into it, James. Let's go. James, I'm really excited to get <laughs> going. Let's go into it. Let's go right into it. All right. So the Go formed in 1996 in Detroit, Michigan, with members Bobby Harlow, John Krautner, and Mark Fellis. Mm. The two main components of this band, though, are Bobby and John. They are the key writers of the group, and most of the credits, for the most part, go to those two. Mm-hmm. But before we get into the uh, the Go themselves, let's go all the way back. To the beginning. Further than 96? Further than 96. Let's start when Bobby was in high school. (laughs) 
because that's when he started to learn how to play music. Uh, he attended high school at Kimball High in Royal Oak, Michigan, uh-huh. and that's where he learned to love music. Bobby says, like so many teenage kids, I was into a bit of everything. It was all modern, aggressive, goofy stuff. The big groups of the time were Metallica, Danzig, Public Enemy, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Nirvana, Ministry, and Primus. We're talking like early 90s, late 80s, early 90s time frame. Yep. Yeah. Some of my friends were into Joy Division, and others were into Grateful Dead as well. I liked heavy metal. So okay. he had pretty eclectic tastes, you could say. Mm-hmm. But one thing that kind of loomed large in his musical exploration, let's say, was the Beatles. They played a mm. huge role in his musical tastes, and it does really show in the Goes music and Bobby's music in general. He tends to, to lean into the 60s pop kind of feel, like a little grittier than the Beatles, a little more Stones-like, but definitely yeah. has that uh, Lennon-McCartney flair to it. Sure, the kinks kind of thing. Yes. Hey, Jin, do you like the kinks? Jin? Jins? No, the kinks. Kinks with a K at the end, the kikinka. Kinks. You don't. Bobby actually remembers being, quote, trapped and bored in a summer vacation cabin in Caseville, Michigan, uh-huh. and picking up his mother's guitar, which he had yet to actually learn how to play, really. And he says, quote, I thought it would be a good project. Could I write a song? I don't even know what my point of reference was back then. I was a teenager, so I was listening to modern music. The Police, Metallica, Ice-T all came into play. I had loved all my mom's Beatles records when I was a kid, but they'd been put aside for newer stuff. But then, shortly <laughs> after that... Through some hazy experience very late one night, I revisited Abbey Road, and it struck a chord with me. I heard it in such a way that I made a strange distinction. I may have even taken something. (laughs) But the lights were red, and the room was smoky, and I put on Abbey Road and just decided, this is better than everything I'd ever listened to. (laughs) It may seem strange, but I completely abandoned all modern music after that. For a whole year, I listened to nothing but the Beatles. Literally. For a year. (laughs) I wouldn't even let people play me anything else. I was so touchy about it. People would be like, oh, you love the Beatles? Man, you've got to hear this Donovan track. And I'd be like, no, I'm not ready. (laughs) Sure, people thought it was strange, but I'd suddenly realized that the heavy music of Metallica or Ministry or whoever I'd been listening to wasn't really heavy at all. The Beatles were heavy. These guys were conceptually heavy, which was infinitely more heavy than a heavy song, and it literally changed my life. Wow. Did I ever tell you about that? I did. I had that a similar experience with Abbey Road in high school. Oh, really? Not that <laughs> I was doing what he did after it, but there was a night. I mean, obviously, we grew up with him, so it's mm-hmm. different, but uh, there was a night I listened to Abbey Road where I listened to it with new ears, and it was it's all I thought about. I just listened to it over and over really, really loud, and it was uh, a, a kind of weird experience, because it's like, you know, I must have been 14 or 15, and there's something about that album. It's kind of the most realized album they ever did. It's really the follow-up to Sgt. Pepper. Conceptually, yeah. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it's the height of what those four guys were doing with George Martin. It is the culmination of all of their years together. So all that's to say, uh, I don't want to make this into a Beatles podcast, but this album definitely had uh, a lot of influence on what the band would become. Yes. In fact, he even says, I I think back to an interview that McCartney gave in which he said, looking back at the Beatles career, I'm proud that most of the songs are about love and they're positive, Bobby says. It's from anthology. Yes. He's taking a lot of these things to heart and he's trying to take that 60s positivity and, and he's trying to put something positive into the world. 
And he also really looks up to the Beatles engineer Jeff Emmerich and producer George Martin. He was getting really heavily into production and engineering of music as well around the same time. Hmm. He started playing guitar at 15 and he took a dive into recording this kind of music and engineering it at 17 when he got his first four-track tape recorder. He says, before I met John and Mark, who are the guitar player and the drummer for The Go, he was obsessed with recording. He would lock himself away for hours all night and record songs alone, which is similar to Jack. Jack got his first recording equipment pretty early. Yeah. He didn't go to college. He dropped out of school when he was 16, actually, and he only wanted to do music. And his belief was that all these people who want to do music and go to college, they're concentrating on their fallback basically he's like the someone going to law school isn't going to and wants to be a musician is probably not going to be a musician they're going to be a lawyer because the money's in the law and not in the you know music and stuff so yeah <laughs> that's dedication it's dedication it's a uh, roll the dice sometimes you roll high and you and you lose right <laughs> uh and in this case it's a little bit of both but you know um, I admire the spirit. I suppose we are sitting here talking about the go right now. So that's, you know, yeah. good for them. Yeah, there you go. So because he was he he was making this drastic change in his life, he decided to move to somewhere entirely different. He moved to Phoenix, Arizona uh, in order to experience something new. He wanted to be around new and exciting people. And um, he didn't want to be around the same people he was around in Detroit. Also similar to the Jack experience. But uh, he lived there for a month in Phoenix, Arizona, and was apparently depressed because it was winter and all of the palm trees were limp. <laughs> uh, he, he also claims that he was being haunted by, quote, aggressive ghosts. And he says, that's true, oh, no. so I had to leave. There was a ghost! This, this ectoplasm! Did you see the ghost? It ran through here and slimed me! No, oh, that wasn't me! That was a spooky ghost! Uh, oh, dear. It's always the quiet ones. <laughs> it responds to music, so we've been doing some experimentation, playing easy listening, middle of the road type stuff. You know, Paul Young, Dust in the Wind, that works okay. Works Dig for this. me. Loves Jackie Wilson. He's not sleeping with the toaster, is he? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He was walking with a ghost. Ah. So right after that, uh, he moves to Grand Rapids, Michigan, to take an opportunity to uh, be around the college enthusiasm, but not actually be in it. So he just wanted to be a part of the mm -hmm. scene, man, you know? Right, right. Yeah, he's a real, real scenester. He's a real scene man. He also apparently uh, was able to use the university piano rooms for recording. <laughs> Good for him. He, he found a way to buck the system. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I w I'd walk in like I owned the place and set up shop. Nobody would question me. I was able to develop quickly there. <laughs> He claims he rarely would think of anything other than music. I've never allowed anyone's will or determined views to be imposed upon my creativity. The sacrifice is, it seems that there is no financial security in the business of music. The artists always sit on the doorsteps of the rich. Charles Bukowski told me that in one of his books. His favorite movie is probably The Big Lebowski, and um, <laughs> you think he's ever you think he's ever hucked anything at a moving train? <laughs> Cause like, cause like, where are they even going? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, did, where are they even said, going? And he said, "Take that society," as he hucked it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he he was twenty when he was in Grand Rapids, and he 
like I said, was using the the college piano room to record and all this other stuff. And he he wound up recording an entire twelve song album. Wow! Which included other musicians from around the college would would come and help him out. And apparently, he spent his twenty first birthday in the studio to finish this album. But the album is completely under lock and key, and uh, it doesn't seem to be coming out anytime soon. He's very <laughs> wary of releasing it. He says, very few people have heard it, and I don't care. There are plenty of interesting sounds on it, but I don't plan to let anybody in. There were actually two records. The other was 30 minutes long and was supposed to be the soundtrack for a cartoon feature. <laughs> the cartoon feature was apparently called Dr. Puerco Drinks the Ooze. <laughs> of course it is. He must have drank all of it. Of course it is. I love this. But he says about the 12 song album, it sounded like a hybrid of Pink Floyd, Stooges, and Velvet Underground influenced imitation. So, uh, yeah, look, I, we, we've been making some fun here, but I think I don't necessarily disagree with him, his point of view and how he's approaching this stuff. And uh, I, I think it's admirable that he thinks so much of uh, he, that he takes his music so seriously because it's it's it, it is an important thing and he treats it with with respect it seems like jack treats it with respect you know yeah i agree and let's not forget this is all late teens early 20s i was right you know i'm in my late 20s now so i'm not even that far out of it and i can remember in very recent memory that I was saying similar shit to this. Oh, uh, yeah, not, yeah, I get it. He's not crazy. He's a kid at the time. Yeah. I, I get it. Right. I totally do. He's a music um, fan, for Christ's sake. So are we. It's it's cool. You're right. We're making a podcast. I can't... I can't just... <laughs> um, and right. uh, he says also about those recordings, he says, the recordings from when I was 17 and 18 years old are very pot-headed and Beatles-driven. Surprise. Now I'm yeah. full circle, but without <laughs> the pot. I'm merely headed. So, <laughs> oh. All of that leads up to 1996 when he and John and Mark all meet. Uh, apparently, John and Mark were in a band called the Railface Wonder Wheel. <laughs> and they had a mutual friend who told them that Bobby could record groups and things. Uh, so they hopped in a car and drove up to Grand Rapids. And apparently, they hit it off. And Bobby thought they were excellent musicians. And they all recorded their first song called Send Me Down Love, which is a doo-wop number. And that's when they moved back to Royal Oak, Michigan, and they started the go. Nice. So John Krautner, who is the other writing force in this band, apparently didn't know how to write a song. And he actually, when he met Bobby, he asked him, quote, in a very general way, how to write a song. <laughs> him and Bobby have a, have a fun interview here. Bobby says, but you were already writing songs before that time. And John says, but that's not actually writing them out on paper and structuring them like a recipe. John says, so he gave me a book of Beatles chords. Again, the Beatles have a really huge impact <laughs> on this group. Yeah, for real. He continues, oh, just learn these and you'll be able to write songs. So I was in college at Eastern learning these songs and I ended up recording a T-Rex cover, Hot Love for a project Ooh. with some ah, friends. I love that song. It's a great song. I love that Great one. song. She's my woman of gold and she's not very old. Uh-huh. She's my woman of gold and she's not very old. Uh-huh. I don't mean to be bold about the me I hold your hand. She ain't 
I suddenly realized that those Beatles chords were the same ones that Mark Bolan used to write that song. It was also the first time I actually learned how to play a song from beginning to end. It was a moment of pride because I realized how easy it was. And I thought, well, if it's that easy, it can't be that hard to write something like that. Or <laughs> at least it's half as good as Hot Love or a quarter of good as Hot yeah. Love. I really liked Hot Love. <laughs> um, I also bought a top hat and I invited several minstrels to play with me while I wrote science fiction on a stage while and women re- threw their underwear at me. And I requested that my mother bang a gong every time dinner was ready. There was lots of lipstick. You're right. Ringo was on my piano all the time. <laughs> These are a lot of narrow Mark Bolin references. Right. It's fine. If anyone out there has not listened to T-Rex, like you should probably do that. Yeah, like now. Just listen to Electric Warrior and have your mind blown, man. And he says, after that, it was a slow process, but sometimes I don't think I've evolved at all as a songwriter. So you can see where his writing style comes from. So they would uh, they would write these songs and they would write together. John would play guitar and they would both come up with lyrics as they sing along to the guitar. And then uh, Bobby would write down the words as they made them up. And this was early on in the Go days, um, and that's how they would write their songs together. Mm. Later on, they would start writing independently of one another, and they wrote a couple numbers, and they played their first show in Hamtramck, which is, it's a city, like, suburb real close to Detroit, Mm. Hamtramck, Michigan. Oh, I'm looking at their city's website. Oh, God. (laughs) James has f- figured out he's been me- he's uh, was meant to pay a uh, water bill there for the past twelve years. <laughs> I have a login ID. Oh God! The Ghost producer Matthew Smith was at oh. that show in Hamtramck. He says hmm. from the first ten seconds of the first time I saw them standing on a Polish banquet hall stage in Hamtramck, looking like dazed juvenile delinquents who just stepped out of a time machine, I knew instantly that they were the best rock and roll band I'd ever heard. They looked like all the cultural and musical events of the last 20 years had gone unnoticed by them, like they'd never even heard of Nirvana, but were still excited about the Guess Who, War, Traffic, Soft Machine, Lou Reed, The Fugs, Kim (laughs) Fowley, and Frank Zappa. And they were determined to produce music that would meet the standards of their musical heroes. Okay. So I'm assuming that's Matthew Smith, the um, actor who plays Doctor Who. I mean, he mentions Time Machines, Paul. Sorry, man. I don't know those references. We didn't call him the doctor. No, I didn't think you would. Hey, exterminate, am I right? You get it? Yeah. No, I don't know. Uh, anyway, their first Detroit show was a secret gig at Paychecks Lounge. Bobby says, uh, we were afraid to let people see us, so mm. we booked it under the name Blackula. Uh, <laughs> just so happens that okay. Zach Ships, who's now in Electric Six, stopped by for a beer that night. He was the only person to see the Go's first show. He says he liked it. So this is around the time when Jack joins the group. What Now, what year are we talking here? We're talking around 1998. Okay, so he has quit Goober and the Peas. Mm-hmm. He has married Meg or is dating Meg. And he is. they're starting to think about the White Stripes, although they're in various stages of sort of um, they're in beta fetal testing. development. Yeah, beta <laughs> testing. Yeah. yeah. As in... As in Meg is betaing the drums in the attic hey. uh, as hard as she can. <laughs> Zing. So Jack joins the group on guitar. 
along with Dave Buick on bass. Whoa, another Jack man entering the fold. Yeah, you you might remember Dave Buick, folks out there, because he's the founder of Italy Records and the current head of... Italy Records! He's the current head of the Third Man Records pressing plant. And he uh, hand-painted those uh, first two White Stripes singles in late in 98, along with Jack. And Meg, yeah. <laughs> All three of them hand-painted those. So he, he obviously has some deep connections to this. And the gang is also introduced to Ben Blackwell, Ooh. Jack's nephew and member of the Dirt Bombs at one point. And- He's pretty close to the inner circle and heavily looked up to Jack. A couple years younger, but definitely in the inner circle. Mm-hmm. Also, one quick other fact about Dave Buick, was an early supporter of the Greenhorns. Ah. So you start to see some of these other, you start to see some of these other familiar faces start to homogenize. Like I said in the... Uh- uh, the first Broken Boy Soldiers episode, all these puzzle pieces, they're coming together. I know. They very slowly start to, you know, <laughs> connect. Blackwell says, uh, I first met Bobby Harlow in the fall of 1998 while the Go was recording demos in southwest Detroit. I had a copy of the MC5 Saginaw Civic Center bootleg LP with me, which uh, Third Man Records just released an MC5 record, re-released one. The cover photo is a striking color shot of the band with live with Rob Tyner laying prostrate. When I showed it to Bobby, he said, I wonder how Rob Tyner ended up in that position. It's something I would never have thought of myself and seemed to almost establish a higher form of thinking that I've come to expect from the man. Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, the band now formed with five members. So now it's John, Bobby, Mark, Jack, and Dave. They're recording some demos. They, They get all of these songs together and they end up playing their first show at the Gold Dollar which uh, folks out there, if you're familiar with Jack White, you should be familiar with the Gold Dollar, but it's a pretty integral part of the Detroit cast corridor music scene. It's a bar and venue that plays a lot of new and upcoming bands, including the White Stripes. Uh, Its owner, Neil Yee, was uh, also (laughs) seemingly meticulous with his uh, recording of the different groups that performed there because we're seeing a lot of... A lot of releases in the vault of Jack and Jack-related acts coming from the Gold Dollar. You hear them. You hear that place pop up a bunch whenever you're researching any of these Detroit bands. There was a there was a scene going on, and oh, yeah. gold the Gold Dollar was the pulse. You know. Oh yeah. They said that they were Gold Dollar regulars. The Gold Dollar had a real communal vibe. Most everybody knew each other and had a great time there. The gold dollar houses my best memories of Detroit. Hmm. He says, before the magic stick, though, we played a lot of shows at the gold dollar in front of, like, Detroit Cobra's co-founder, Steve Shaw. There'd be Steve holding a beer, standing at the bar, and Amy Abbott bartending, and nobody else. We did a lot of those kinds of shows. (laughs) Just a couple people there. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the sound the sound on a stage with monitors was just so impressive to us. We really enjoyed that. And we just discovered beer, which helped. The other guy had just turned 21. <laughs> I'm a little older, but when I was 21, I never partied or went out to bars or even had much of a social life. I just played music for myself in, in my room or whatever. So the gold dollar was like, well, broadening our horizons is an understatement. It was more like tearing down our foundations. Mm. <laughs> raucous youth becoming more raucous, Paul. There was a scene there. Uh, yeah, but that's, uh, you know, you got a lot of, it's uh, the, really the primordial ooze. Vile of ooze! Of a sound that would eventually kind of become super popular for a little while. It's a super shredder! Yeah, I mean, it was more than just a scene in Detroit. I think it was the uh, the... 
it's sort of the petri dish for a for a musical revival you know yeah. in the in the early 2000s there right before the detroit boom where people would would become hyper obsessed and hyper aware of detroit bands spearheaded by people like jack white and, and you know eminem eminem yeah. kid rock uh, i mean love him or hate him he name checks him a bunch so i mean you're hearing a lot of people screaming detroit right they would wind up playing the gold dollar a lot actually the the next show was in uh june 13th 1998 and here's here's a little thing from i found on the gold dollars website little descriptions of of each of the shows that they apparently put up Ooh. and never took down it's spring again okay. it's spring again and gold dollar high is proud to present purple rain prom the special night hosted by vice principal potter will lo- live long in your memories <laughs> Freshman class standouts, The Go will perform, as will junior honor students, The Henchmen. The Henchmen, Paul, you'll know, is uh, ah, another band that Henchmen. Jack White was a part of. Yeah, and recorded uh, a single with uh, some other guy. And uh, that was a common song played by the Beatles in their Hamburg days, in their very own, or at Hamburg days and in the Cavern Club, which was their version of the Cold Tower. Right, yes. So there's uh, another Beatle connection for for you all so um they played this gold dollar Mm. prom pretty much which apparently is a regular uh occurrence or was a regular occurrence at the gold dollar in 1998 paul sub pop also signs them up for an album called what you doing which would be the nice one and only album that jack white is a part of with the go Sub Pop's uh, A&R representative, Dan Trager, was home in Detroit for Thanksgiving to visit his family, and he caught a set of theirs. Matt Smith, their producer, just happened to have a demo tape in his car of songs from the go that he recorded for producer-slash-raconteur Kim Fowley, who was soliciting (laughs) songs for the Detroit Rock City Kiss movie soundtrack. Oh, Jesus. He had these songs for this Kiss movie, and gave it to this guy from Sub Pop. So basically, this Kiss movie is the reason that Sub Pop signed them. Thank you, Kit. Thank you, Gene Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so What You Doing was released on September 7th, 1999. So it was re- released that later uh, in the next year. Jack White co-wrote mm-hmm. two songs on this uh, album. Well, they're, they're two of the few songs that have uh, other people writing on them. He co-wrote Keep On Trash... Time for the moon.
album has a song called Susie Don't Leave, which I think we can consider a tangential ah. Susie Lee, but uh, Jack didn't write yeah. that one, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know about that. But Susie Lee being a, uh, a common character in Jack White's uh, songwriting, he mm-hmm. refers to Susie Lee, which uh, may or may not be a real person. There's been some reports that it may be, but uh, it also refers to the uh, idealized childhood crush kind of thing yeah sub pop apparently demanded that crummy hissy raw demo as john and bobby put it so the songs meet me at the movies you can get high and get you off are actually the demo versions that they got from that tape Mm -hmm. they didn't use the versions that they recorded in the studio because they wanted those ones more right Um, okay apparently quote even Sub Pop thought rock and roll didn't stand a fat chance in hell of becoming successful or selling a lot of records again, Bobby says. And they didn't want to hear anything about our friends in Detroit. Jack played on our first record. Jack and I wrote a song together, and he wrote with the entire group as well. This album was kind of like a weird shot in the dark for Sub Pop. They were just, they took mm-hmm. notice and decided to take a risk. The song, uh, You Can Get High and Get You Off, those are some, those are some highlights, actually. I actually really like those. I to be to be honest, I uh, I've really mainly been exposed to them through that vault package mm-hmm. that um, Jack released of uh, the Go Live at the Gold Dollar. It was in uh, it was in a vault package from last year. Anyway, they play a uh, they play a long set full of a lot of interesting songs, but uh, two of the standouts definitely is Get You Off and You Can Get High. Yeah. That whole uh, Vault live album is great, which is the first set from that first Gold Dollar show. The stripes start to become a thing around this time. The white stripes mm-hmm. are starting to form and, and bubble and, and gesticulate. So the, the go uh, play actually the Gold Dollar again, but right before the stripes now. So things are starting to change. Ooh. In 1999, in February of 1999, the go play at the Gold Dollar, and then the next day, the White Stripes play. Interesting. Yeah. It's it's starting to be... So they're really happening at the same time, right. yeah, because... Yeah. Uh, it's funny, the, the Gold Dollar, I wrote down this description, too, about the White Stripes show. They said, uh, Southwest Detroit's fri- finest two-piece stripped down to voice, guitar, and drums. The White Stripes' basic minimalist approach has made them a unique favorite. Now, where does Two Star Tabernacle fall into this in Jack's that... world? Because I feel like that came before this. I don't honestly know. It looks like they his involvement with them predates his involvement at least to a certain degree with the go I mean and obviously the white stripes because it looks like they were playing shows in very early 98 uh, as part of that vault release that was from January of 98 and the go stuff was from later in the year sort of the tail end of 98 so it looks like he's hopping around to a couple different groups Mm. i just i I found it interesting that two-star tabernacle and the go you know i I kind of see them as not not interchangeable but more full bands and it's uh, it's interesting he hopped between one and the other um before before settling with meg Mm-hmm. So this is around the time when Jack's leaving the band. The, the album is released and all that, but Jack, Jack obviously was moving on to the Stripes. 
uh, and Bobby Harlow uh, talks about it a little bit. He says, there's no friction between the go and Jack. Uh, Bobby says, which is funny because if there should be any friction in Detroit Rock, it should be between, it should be between the go and Jack, but there isn't. <laughs> he continues, he was important to us, and we were, but we were on a path that couldn't be interrupted. Jack, I believe, really enjoyed his time in the go. We were the only rock band that he ever officially joined, which we know is wrong. <laughs> Unfortunately, it just couldn't work out. I miss Jack a bit. He's a very talented guy, as you know. After touring with, with the new album and stuff. They immediately went into Jim Diamond's Detroit studio to record a second LP. Uh, Hollywood Jim Diamond. Yep. Everybody loves Jim Diamond. Jim, the producer, well, the co-producer of Jack's uh, first record, a an early collaborator of the Jack, uh, who they would get into a fist fight and um, really have an intense falling out. Jim Diamond also played bass, I believe, for the Dirt Bombs. Uh, my name is Jim Diamond, and I'm involved with my studio ghetto recorders pretty much i own a recording studio in detroit and produce records sometimes i'll get emails people say hey we'd like to record with you guys and i go i i'm the guy so they they immediately went into the recording studio uh to record a second lp but they didn't get sub pop's approval before doing this Uh the label was was not happy because uh the recording and all that racked up a nine thousand dollar tab so Sub Pop was, was not happy, uh, and they actually turned them down for a second record deal. Quote uh, from Bobby, the new A&R man told us, it sounds like shit. And we said, no, you sound like shit. <laughs> excellent, excellent. He, he also says, they certainly didn't reject it because it was too noisy when questioned about Wikipedia saying that they rejected it because it was too noisy. Quote, Wikipedia is full of shit, and it's a useless website. Sub Pop definitely didn't agree with this type of noise coming from their speakers. Um, uh, <laughs> artists should be able to do whatever they want. If they're not doing it for money, I say it should. I should. Uh, I say it should be completely untouched by all outside parties. Sub Pop did not comply. What did they want? Who knows? They provided the go with its first record, and f- from there we've never looked back. I couldn't be more grateful for Sub Pop. They really drew a lot of attention to the band. Yeah, these things tend to happen with those first people to take a chance. Yeah, there's there's usually friction like this, you know. But this came at kind of a, as kind of a blow to the band. A fan and member of the Ramrods, who are in the uh, Candy Colored Blues documentary, they said, uh, "I think this second album not coming out on Sub Pop threw their career into a state of chaos." Uh, apparently, he's a spiritual advisor to the <laughs> band as well. This all came from Jasper Smith. Quote from smith after being dropped from sub pop there was a period of waiting and wondering what to do meanwhile the strokes and white stripes went out and sold a lot of records yeah john krautner said from the bottom of our hearts we wanted them to like this album we were very proud of it that's a shame i mean that explains the stall yeah well all of this drama kind of led dave buick to leave the band and john krautner took up full time bass and then they supplement supplemented guitar with a new member jimmy mcconnell okay 
they play another gold dollar show with the white stripes or 99 so they're 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 starting to run into competition with their own at this point who are kind of out outpacing mm. them a little bit they'd continue to play the the gold dollar a few more times and the last time they would grace the stage of the gold dollar was actually uh october 28th of 2000 other other acts though that that october though were uh, and this will give you a good uh, timeline of, of what was happening the greenhorns the buzzards ah which the buzzards was a band that uh jared coral was talking to us about right yeah, i remember that the white stripes played twice whirlwind heat played <laughs> which was um david swanson's band wow. uh who, who would eventually tour in front of the wow. white stripes the henchmen the von bondies and a hell of a lot more, too. But <laughs> that gives a good snapshot into what was wow. happening. Their next official album, they would never release that, that second album officially, but they did release their next official album in 2003. It was their self-titled album called The Go. under Lizard King Records and was marketed almost exclusively in England, um, which be- proved to be problematic. I mean, England was a hotbed for that style of music. You could see it in how strongly they reacted to Jack's stuff, but that whole indie garage thing. Yeah. Very, very, very much embraced by the English popular culture. Yeah. Uh, it would lead them to tour in England a lot, though which proved to be pretty good for them, which, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it brings me to uh, to to, uh, to something, an English term, Paul. Uh, it's, a, it's a man who goes around collecting, oh. collecting things. Oh. Yeah. oh, hello there. Could, uh, you mean a chimney no, sweep? No, not a chimney sweep. A uh, little... Oh, do you mean a Krampus? No, I didn't. A Krampus? Like a demon who steals children? How about a bobsled uh, no, man? No, not a bobsled man, Paul. Is this is uh, it's it's more like someone who collects like skeletal remains and clothing. Some people they know they can't believe <laughs> that Jamaica has a bobsled. No, tank. Some people can't believe that, but I, you know what I can believe, Paul, is that this is a rag and bone. Rag and bone. Um, James, Rag and Bone is the portion of the show where we talk about something strange and unusual we found in our research, and I am dying to know what this Rag and Bone is, James. In the studio, while they were recording their second album, the leader of Mungo Jerry... 
popped his head into the studio, excitedly proclaiming, now that's real rock and roll, man. So <laughs> so the guy who sang In the Summertime. Wait, who's, what's Mungo Jerry? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, wow. <laughs> I, w- I wonder if he was, wow, this man did not age well. <laughs> With a name like Mungo Jerry? The sands of time were not... The sands of time were not kind to Mungo. He he lived through a couple too many summer times. His sideburns look like some sort of rainforest. Uh, I feel like the cast, the entire cast of Fern Gully could exist in one of his sideburns. He looks like he's wearing uh, what Lego considers to be hair like a snap-on Lego (laughs) hair. Oh my god, he has a brand of vape juice. He has a brand of vape juice and it's called Mungo Cherry Vape (laughs) Juice. And you can buy it and there's a commercial. There's a commercial for Mungo Cherry (laughs) Vape Juice. Oh my god. He's so happy to sell me this vape juice. Oh, Mungo. This is the Mungo Cherry Vape Juice which they say you inhale it and you get the cherry flavor. But exhaled, it's mango. Mungo Jerry. He's hashtagging himself, but he only hashtagged the mungo part. <laughs> Is it good? He's plugging it on his tour. <laughs> it was debuted at the Vape Expo 2016. Wow. There's a Vape Expo out there, James. I believe it. Mungo Cherry, holy sh**. So Mungo Cherry, the um, the go fan and vape juice mogul, just he's popping his head in. He's giving his nod of approval. I mean, where goes the Mungo, so goes the nation, as I've always said. <laughs> and uh, that that's this week's rag and bone. <laughs> well, man, look at all this. You don't want it. You sure you don't want it? I can do it. Take it. So this album being uh, marketed pretty much in England exclusively wasn't wasn't the worst for them because it did open the door to tour in England alongside the Stripes. They actually opened for the White Stripes during their Elephant tour. It had to be probably a little disheartening on their part, but yeah, it's it's a good thing for them probably. Right. I mean, Elephant's their biggest album, so they're they're still there and they're they're actually opening up alongside the Libertines. Oh. They're they're opening up alongside another big band. So, yeah. Yeah. It's good. The sound of the band the band changed uh, from album to album, though. After what you're doing, it, it it remained loyal to '60s influences, but it kind of shifted to some more psychedelic realms. Ben Blackwell actually said, "If I hadn't noticed a change in the ghost sound, I'd be deaf." As a band, it seemed like they never stopped evolving while they were ma- maintaining a consistent feel or vibe that so many other acts just can't get their arms around. They've never made the same record twice, and yet it always sounds like the go. So it reminds me a lot of uh, like Elvis yeah. Costello. Uh, he does that, a lot of that kind of stuff. Right. But they also changed lineups a couple times. To quote Bobby, John, Mark, and I have played together for over 10 years. Mark and John have been playing together since they were both 16 years old. Uh, we've always enjoyed changing the sound and experimenting. That's why I believe we've been through so many lineups. We just enjoy making music and creating new identities through sound. It's kind of like acting. We become <laughs> different people, play new roles with each song. I've never liked to be the same person for too long okay their their music never really took off like it probably should have after after the whole sub pop fiasco but they were able to make some money off of putting their music in movies and tv bobby claims there's no extra benefit from having a song in a show unless you've written the theme for taxi or are featured in a michelle gondry film Ah. actually there is one exception 
we have two songs in the remake of The Hills Have Eyes, and the art-damaged punk rockers loved it. More horror, please. It's it's a good. It, honestly, it's a it's a sick, twisted, disgusting movie, and its sequel is equally sick, twisted, and disgusting. If you like horror, it is a it it is good. It is good. There's a scene I have to I have to fast forward through, but um, yeah, it's it's still a good horror movie. Aside, yeah. From that. Anywho, but the 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 band's still playing. When asked how long they'll keep playing and if there's any end in sight bobby asks not sure as long as the songs are sound good i suppose we'll continue to release albums but, uh, he says i guess we've got a lot of work ahead of us that's really ultimately the deciding factor if the go keeps the members busy then we won't have much time to think about quitting it's like kind of like war if a soldier focuses on killing his enemies <laughs> then he won't have time to think about killing himself <laughs> just to go through their discography real quick so the go released ni- in 1999 what you doing uh it it did actually get some pretty good reviews. It got four to five stars on all music. They had said the Ghost debut album, What You Doing, introduces the Detroit group's aggressive, authentic update of late 60s garage rock. Uh, songs like The Snarling, Meet Me at the Movies, and The Blissed Out, Summer Sun Blues display the group's fuzzy gu- driving guitars, half-shouted, half-sung vocals, and swaggering beats. While the pop area might be good and Get Off My cloud ask You Can't Get High at a Another dimension to the ghost, straight up rock sound. What you're doing is a good introduction to one of Motor City's most explosive bands. High praise. 2001, they they had Free Electricity, which was the other, the second record that they had tried to release through Sub Pop and didn't actually end up releasing officially. But you can find it out there. It's called Free Electricity. It's pretty good. I enjoy it. Uh, the 2003, <laughs> they release The Go, which is their second official album. And then also in 2003, they release <laughs> Supercuts. Pretty soon after they released that. 2007, they released How Let the Haunted Beat You Ride, which actually got uh, a lot of attention. It is really good. I like that one a lot. That's I sent you some of those songs earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, this, this album was actually released on Cass and Italy Records, both. Cass Records being uh-huh. run by Ben Blackwell and Italy Records being run by David Buick. There is some connection there. To quote Bobby, Ben Blackwell, head of Cass Records, is a friend of mine. I've known Ben since he was knee-high to a grasshopper, which is still taller than me. I think we've got the <laughs> meaning Detroit music groups. We've got all of the advantages to create, record, and release great music. Dave Buick, head of Italy Records, and Ben Blackwell both have record labels because they love music. They're not looking to make a profit, just break even, hopefully. They're genuine music fans who love to make certain that good music is available to people who want to hear it. After that, in 2008, they release From That with Italy Records, uh, tracking the trail of the haunted beat. And then in 2010, they release uh, an album, Conspiracy of Owls. And in 2013, they release an album, Fiesta. The Go! On Burger Records and Tapes. Bobby Harlow. John Krautner. Mark Fellas. Fiesta! Fiesta! 
times, two times, two times LPs. Guaranteed to blow your mind. Fiesta. Controversial recording ever made. Fiesta. Spin Magazine gives the go 15 stars. Fiesta. And the Wall Street Journal reports if you don't buy this album, you're crazy. And then uh, they release uh, with Third Man Records the Gold Dollar Show. And that's that's where they're at right now, Paul. That's where the go is at. Wow. Well, James, that was very interesting. And I'm going to have to just dive in a little bit more. And, and after learning about them, I'm, uh, I'm very interested to check out more of these albums in full. Because as I say, I'm only really familiar with the live stuff. So this has been an eye-opening experience. Yeah, it's it's all pretty solid. But I, I do really enjoy their, their music. I think they're, they have the 60s energy that I think we, we really enjoy. Um, me and you personally, and I think a lot of our audience would would enjoy as well. They they remind me a lot of a grittier version of the Red Walls. Yeah, yeah. If you remember them. Oh, and I do. They take a lot of heavy influences from uh, from sixties music and and make their own sound. They built a bridge, brought both sides together. And Paul, I think that 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 should bring us to the end of this here episode. And I think we should uh, go see our third man this week. Uh, let's go to it. All right. So uh, we'd like to welcome our third man for this week, Rob Janos. How's it going, Rob? It's going pretty good, brother. How about yourself? Oh, it's going just fine. Rob, um, we're, you're here. We got you. I know. <laughs> you got Rob. You got me. You don't want me, but you got me. <laughs> Thanks for reaching out and uh, and and talking to us, and and this is this is great that we were able to get this together. It's awesome, D- dude. You guys are you put on a fantastic podcast. It's great, you know, to listen to when driving or whatever. So it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. We appreciate very it very much. much yeah. So, so we brought Rob here to uh, to do a couple of things. We wanted to talk about the topic for today, which is the go, but we also wanted to get a little bit more into. Uh, the music industry, as as seems to be a, a running theme for a lot of these Third Men segments. Rob, you're a musician. I am a musician, yes. I play in a band called Asphalt Gray, but I also work as a uh, a tour manager and a roadie for a all-girl Led Zeppelin tribute band called Les right. Zeppelin. Yeah, that, I love Led oh, nice. Zeppelin. I, I, used, I went to college in New York, and I used to see... Signs for them, I believe. Signs for them playing all the time, and I, I keep yeah. seeing them pop up on my social media and stuff. So that's really badass. Those are my those are my girls. If you like Led Zeppelin, man, you got to check them out. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Do they mostly play local shows, or are they uh, a touring uh, group? You know what? We they play. Uh, you know, they're based out of New York City, so they do a lot of stuff up there. But you know, we we go all around. I've been to India with them, and Poland, and wow. go to Alaska, and we're doing a southern tour in the late summer. So we get around. Nice. Did they ever do an, an all-province Canada tour? <laughs> you know what? Up until just recently, it was so hard to get into Canada. Because, really? uh, yeah, because you used to have to pay to, like, make money in Canada. Like, you had to pay, like, artist tariffs or something. And huh. it was it was ridiculously hard. Th- that's why Jack White didn't go to Canada until he did, he says. 
Canada was the only place I had to pay to get into, you know, <laughs> to perform, yeah. So, you know, it's, it was hard. Oh, so we've, we've only started doing a few shows in Canada, but hopefully we'll do more. I don't wow, know if we're nice. going to be eating uh, raw caribou up in, you know, the tundra, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, the minute you don the kilts, uh, you'll yeah. know you've gone full Jack yeah. White. Well, it's not that impressive for the girls, because, I mean, they are girls. It's just a skirt for them. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for them it'd be uh, just plaid pants or, like, a plaid bodysuit or something. Yeah, or something. plaid pantsuit, just... yeah. Yeah, uh, just a, a onesie. Uh, Rob, so we're both, uh, James and I originated uh, from New Jersey uh, ourselves. Yes. I know you're over there in Jersey. How did uh, how did you get started in the music business? What inspired you to want to play? You know, uh, I hated music for most of my life. I thought it was boring and like I failed all my music classes in school and everything. And then it sounds super cliche, but I discovered the Beatles. And I'm like, this is hmm. awesome. And I want to do that. Yeah, so... Well, that's hilariously uh, on point for this episode, actually, yeah. uh, because Bobby Harlow of The Go mm-hmm. discovered the Beatles at a very young age, and that's what inspired him to actually become a full-time musician, basically. That's when he pretty much dropped out of school and yeah. uh, started playing guitar and producing music. So that's yeah. uh, that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's, you know, it's cliche, but it's, you know, you start with that and you just discover more and more. It's like kind of uncovering... Uh, you know, dusting off uh, rock history and just finding more and more amazing bands and, you know, going further and further yeah. back. So it's cool. Yeah. Nice. We've kind of grew up around around it and uh, we're kind of infused with that era of music, obviously via our parents, but mm-hmm. it wasn't as much uncovering for us with the Beatles. But I, I do feel something similar with uh, Third Man Records. I feel like we jumped into the Third Man Records obsession thing at such a late time, I would say. It wasn't the latest, but, mm-hmm. you know, it was a time where uncovering these bands did feel like, you know, unearthing new treasures and that kind of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Well, it's a, I mean, it's a great platform for so many artists that it's like mm-hmm. either, you know, you wouldn't listen to or, you know, never heard before. Like, I never liked Tom Jones, and then I heard the Tom Jones single <laughs> that, that they did. I'm like, this is amazing, you know? <laughs> right, right. So you play uh, you play guitar and piano uh, in your group Asphalt Gray. At what did you start on guitar or did you start on piano? How did you? I started on guitar. I can't read a lick of music still to this day. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I, I I do harmonica. I play some mandolin and keys and organ and all that stuff. Jack of nice. all trades, master of none. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would we be able to play a sample of it, or? Uh, I need money first, but that's cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> I didn't really. No. Go right, ahead. You're, go ahead, you're doing the the Canadian method. I got it. Yeah. That's exactly. Fine. That's cool. You know. <laughs> Hot. 
so I hear a lot of, uh, obviously, Led Zeppelin in there, but it's it's a lot of rhythm and blues and and sort of got that, got a grit to it. It's got a, a snarl to it. It's sort of aggressive, sort of pseudo-aggressive in a way, because it's not overly... Uh, mean-spirited or anything like that, but there's definitely a bite there. Do you have, uh, what, what is your guys' approach, if you had to categorize your approach to, to songwriting and, and recording? You know, been? it's, uh, I think it's the best songs that we write, we write as a band. We'll, you know, go in the garage. We're a garage rock band. We got to play in a garage. So, you know, yeah. we go in there with a bottle of whiskey and just, uh, <laughs> you know, start hammering out stuff you know i might have a riff or ronnie might have a melody or something and we'll just kind of go to town on it until it sounds good you know so yeah yeah um you know and, and that allows us to kind of pick up everybody's influences you know i like the classic rock uh Alyssa's, uh our bassist she's a multi-instrumentalist you know so she's got mm-hmm. punk roots but she can play jazz she can play anything um she's the real musician of the group uh ronnie loves the blues loves you know stuff like that zoe likes kind of the newer alternative rock so it's you know it's a good mixture of stuff so Mentioned uh, that you're obviously you're a Jack you're a Jack fan. Uh, when did you a first start yes. listening? A Jackalite, yeah. When did you <laughs> when did you first start listening to Jack stuff? Uh, were you were you in there at the beginning with the Stripes or, or did you? I mean, there's a lot of rack and tours in your sound. I'm, I'm gonna well, you know, yeah. Well, that's they're my sure. favorite. But uh, yeah. you know, uh, that, I mean, but I discovered, you know, I heard like fell in love with a girl and think some stuff off of Blood Cells. And honestly, I didn't really like it. I'm like, eh, I'd rather <laughs> listen to Jet or, you know, uh, the Strokes or you know, some yeah. of the other stuff that, you know, that was out at the time. And then I, was, I remember it was in Tower Records, and they used to have those old demo stations where you could, like, listen to, you know, to, uh, like, you know, demos of the, yeah. uh, the different albums that are out. And uh, Get Behind Me Satan was on there, and... I don't know. Like, if I had picked, like, The Nurse or something, I probably wouldn't have ever listened to Jack White again. But I hit uh, <laughs> I hit uh, Instinct Blues, and I'm like, this sounds like Led Zeppelin. Nice. You know, yeah. give me a copy. So <laughs> Sure. <laughs> that's, I think that's you know. what I love about that album, though. It's got The Nurse, and it also has Instinct Blues and Blue Orchid and all these other things. It's Didn't, just a, yeah. it's a big tornado. It, like, like, it's just swirling around, and Bill Paxson, the f- cows in there and it's just there's <laughs> well, lots going it, it, on i would say it kind of reminds me of jack's solo stuff because there's a wide range of stuff on there there's yeah. like rock songs there's weird like little songs there's it's this piano stuff there's acoustic stuff so there's 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 yeah. a lot of good stuff in there and then i kind of went back and learned about the rest of the back catalog and that was all good yeah it's uh semi-similar to, to us except we discovered it probably around what was it well white well paul got into it on white blood cells uh and then me, a little bit around then, and more around Elephant and Get Behind Me, Satan Error. Yep. And then we both did the same thing. We went back and 
uh, yeah. got into self-titled and the style and found reasons to love those as well. I was a junior in high school when Blood Cells came out, and I, and as a as a classic rock kid myself, it blew my mind because I was like, oh, good, somebody else is doing this. Thank gosh, because <laughs> I, I was feeling like we had lost something uh, along the way, and it was nice to hear Jack pick it up again. Well, you know what? That's why I liked, I gravitated to so many of those bands, because I had gotten into classic rock like the Beatles, and then I heard stuff like, like the go like you know the strokes and jet and all that stuff and i'm like wow this kind of sounds like stuff that's you know from 20 years ago and i like that you know we gravitated towards a band which i don't know if you've ever heard of called the red walls that oh had a dude sound. I, I saw them at sayerville in 2007 nice. they oh, yeah, were, yeah, I saw- you know what's funny i'm looking at one of their cds right now on my <laughs> <laughs> i i wish they were still together um and i wish they got some recognition for what they put out oh, they they had like, oh nice red walls <laughs> they, they put out a, like excellent music but it didn't really get noticed with the exception of build a bridge which got put into an at&t commercial yeah and right. uh yeah. and that was pretty much all that we'd ever heard of them like outside of uh, us actually buying the records. They were signed to Capitol Records, and they are casualty of the record industry. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. they were so destroyed by it that, you know, they lost members, and they just gave up, honestly. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I actually saw the Red Walls too. I saw them at uh, the Trocadero Theater in Philadelphia. Uh, oh. They opened up for a, a friend of mine. Said, "Do you want to go see the poly- Polyphonic Spree?" And I said, "Who?" And uh, <laughs> and he said, "They're, they're a like twenty five piece band, and they all wear robes." And I'm like, "Sure, why not?" Sure. And he bought my ticket. And uh, the Red Walls happened to open up for their opening band, which was Rooney, which I also mm. hadn't heard of. I know Rooney, yeah. Yeah, I, I got into Rooney after that, like, a little bit. They're poppier sound. But it was nice. I got to actually meet the Red Walls, though, because they were the opener of the opener. And yeah. so they were just kind of Hanging relaxing. out by the merch table and all that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I got to talk with them a little bit, and it was it was really a nice experience. All that's to say is they were, uh, a, again, another classic rock-inspired band yes. Yes. Of, the, of the era. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, they were a Beatle yeah. cover band, actually. I think that's how they started. Um, yeah, we're talking about the Go on this episode, and obviously, the Go is one of those bands that uh, Jack joined sort of in the latter half of his coming of age, um, before he really mm-hmm. took off and found his identity. And he had the advantage with Meg and the White Stripes of being able to really build around her but be the driving creative force whereas in the go there was a lot of other musicians in the mix and the same thing with two star tabernacle and and goober and the peas he was one of a few people mm-hmm. who all had a vision so we want to talk to you a little bit about it uh about playing in asphalt gray as opposed to playing on your own what do you see as the the pros and cons the 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 different approach you might take to to being the sole force as opposed to being part of a part of a force. You know, I uh, in terms of solo music, I 
I do it a lot, you know, playing by myself or whatever. It's really musical masturbation at times. <laughs> you know, for, for me, I get bored. I get in my own head and with the self-loathing. And it's like it's so it's, – it, it's self-destructive in a way to just lock yourself – you know, in a room and write music or perform music on a stage by yourself. I think that my best work, and this goes for for Jack too, is when you have a balance of people in in the writing and performing process that all bring their own personalities, their own styles and tastes to it. Like the Raconteurs is perfect because Jack is so angsty and dirty and and everything and with all of his things and brendan is so power pop you know they balance each other yeah. perfectly the go are kind of along those same lines it's i think he only had like two writing credits on the entire album you know the what you doing record yeah he uh um, he was on it was the uh the the trash one uh, keep on trash and time for moon were you the, got to uh, it two. before I did. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> were were the ones that uh, that he had writing credits on. So sometimes, I mean, I find it refreshing to just be in a band setting where I could just contribute little things like a, a chord progression or a lyric, as opposed to having all the focus on my own writing. It's refreshing, mm-hmm. you know, being able to just play guitar, which is what he did in that band. Yeah, it's nice to bounce ideas off of people, and especially in a being in a group with a similar atmosphere to that of like creativity when i was in college uh we had a shared studio space Mm -hmm. uh with with everybody else and and we would just sit there and create artwork for 24 hours a day and uh we would just bounce ideas off of each other constantly and after i graduated college a lot of kids including myself panicked a little bit because we didn't have that sound wall to be like does this sound good to you does this look good to you does this uh like is this an interesting enough idea and then once that was gone that's where a lot of kids right out of art school tend to move on to other things because they don't have that kind of support that a group would give you and so i I assume it's similar in a band it's a camaraderie thing where you kind of know that if maybe if you're on stage playing a show and you know you're sick as a dog or hung over or something like that and you're just playing like crap uh that you'll have maybe somebody else to pick up the slack you know just mm-hmm. kind of prop you up and be like okay you know let's let's do this yeah. we'll go down together kind of thing when uh pete townsend interviewed uh, the raconteurs that he mentioned that specifically he said that the who felt like a break it felt like a rest because daltrey was picking up so much of the slack on stage that Pete felt unburdened by it all. And I, I feel like Jack had a similar experience in the tours where, yeah. um, you know, he could just, he, he could rely on somebody else to guide the song for a minute while he collected himself or went nuts on a solo or something. It wasn't up to him to yeah. run back to the, to the guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, Pete Townsend's so definition of picking up slack is Roger Daltrey taking off his shirt. which he does incessantly yes won't you show them the guns roger yeah that's my that's my pete that's a really yeah that's a very good pete towns um it was it was impeccable thank you um and uh so anyway we we were talking a little bit before the call about different uh, shows that it sounds like we might have been at at the same show uh as you uh, jack white shows around the Mm tri-state area uh, but you had some interesting stories. Do you, do you have anything you want to share with us? Uh... Well, you know what? It's like my first concert was the Raconteurs at uh, 
what was that? Uh, Roseland, I think. Yeah. In, which in, one? In, in oh, yeah. Yeah, and, I was there. I was there at that yeah, one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but um, when I, I I saw them three times and two of the times just outside, I just kind of ran into uh, Mark Watraus, who you know was their their side man for the uh, Consolers tour. Uh-huh. And both times, like he would be out there, like smoking a cigarette after sound check and something like that. So we just shoot the. Shit. I saw him at a Greenhorns show too at Maxwell's. Oh, wow. He was he was there. Oh, I'm nice. just like, I keep running into this dude. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, That's you know awesome. what? It's yeah, you know, I I I've had run-ins many times with just members of the Third Man kind of brood, <laughs> like Allison Mosshart at uh, at SIR. A friend of mine mixed one of their shows at Don Hills. Uh, in 2009 with For the Dead Weather and yeah LJ, wow. LJ I've run into a couple times at, at different shows uh, and I yeah. want to meet that man so badly <laughs> you know what's funny I went I went to the green a Greenhorn show at Maxwell's with my bassist Elisa and he's just mm. at the bar you know just like drinking you know and Elisa it's so funny if you look at like if you look at her she kind of looks like little LJ she's got the glasses and kind of the hair she just plays bass really <laughs> quiet all like and she goes up to him she's like hey great show I play bass too and he's like that's awesome I play bass <laughs> 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 and they just kind of go back and forth it's like talking into a mirror for a few minutes <laughs> How many strings does your guitar have? Four. How many strings yeah, does your guitar have? Four. I love that. What a coincidence. Oh my, oh my God. I love that so much. I, I want to yeah. hear a whole conversation there. So you said you saw a Dead Weather rehearsal show. What was that like? You know what? They, I, I didn't see them. I didn't see the rehearsal. Oh, okay. I was at, I was oh, at the, SIR, there, Studio I Instrument there. Rentals, in the city, and they were rehearsing in a room for their Colbert appearance right. oh, nice. for uh it was the dodge and burn thing i think they were doing oh like, cool i feel love every million miles or something um nice. so they were in there rehearsing and uh i was there with a friend of mine the sound guy for les zeppelin we were he works with steely dan so he was there with them we ran into her in the lobby and you know she's going out for a cigarette basically <laughs> and <Yeah>. she's super <laughs> she's super super tall wow and bob had known her because he had mixed them at uh, the don hills uh show which was like a private party that they were doing in 2000 10 or 9. Uh, that's around the time Asphalt Grey got together, right? 2010? You guys have been yeah, together yeah. seven years now. Yeah, because, you know, what's funny. We had played, we played Don Hills the week after them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For, uh, like, our debut show, they were in there doing, a like, a hedge fund manager party, and apparently Jack got drunk and, like, cursed at all the, like, the corporate <laughs> Yeah. They assumed like, they were all uh, big car manufacturers and yeah. yelled at them. So I, I, it's you pick just the worst band to play like a corporate party. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, we were in there like just like a couple days after, and they were still clearing out like you know all their equipment and stuff. So it's like it's just a number of near misses, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. passing passing in the night. <laughs> right. I know Allison's active in New York when she's. Yeah, for the most part, for someone who lives in London, she's pretty active in in Manhattan in the boroughs. I know she did an art show in Brooklyn and stuff. So it's always been a secret hope that I'd eventually see her at some point, just driving around. But um, yeah. I want to meet her. I want to meet all of these people. <laughs> <laughs> she's in Nashville now, isn't she? With uh, yeah, uh she I think so. She or... still lives. She still has a house in London, and then she mm. also has a house in Nashville, if I'm remembering correctly. I, yeah, sorry, the, the Anthony Bourdain thing of her just, like, driving to her, like, you know, 
yeah. was a Chevy Chevy Camaro around Nashville or something like that. Yeah, yeah, right. over at Disgraceland. Disc- but, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you put out a few albums with Asphalt Gray. Your first one was in 2012, right? That was the uh, Sinners, uh, Tricksters, Killers, and Saints LP. Yes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about recording that and doing it in your hometown, Paramus? That's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. The first record, I kind of did it as trying to do my rack and tours, like right. work work with musicians that I knew that are friends that I had never been in a band before with mm-hmm. and, and like, and try and do something like be our own little super group that nobody else gives a shit about, but we'd be all <laughs> like, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. All right. It was recorded, um, at a place called trading eights music, uh, run by a high school friend who, uh, just recently won a couple Grammys for uh-huh. engineering. Oh, nice. So, uh, cool. yeah, we've, rec- we've done work, at least part work of three albums at that studio. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we, tr- I mean, I'd wanted to do a, a long play at like album, you know, instead of an EP or something as your first statement, I wanted to do something that's going to be like a, a full length record, like all the albums that I liked. So there's right, a sure. ton, there's a ton of stuff on that record. Some of it's garbage, but there are some really good <laughs> ones. <laughs> Debuts are for forging your sound, right? That's for establishing who you are oh, a little bit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're, you had to kind of figure things out what kind of band you're going to be you know so there's punk rock on there there's blues there's spaghetti right. western and then we're just like let's just stick to rock and roll it's much easier <laughs> <laughs> so how would you how would you say beaten black and blues has evolved from where you started on that from that first record because that's the is that the latest one you had the one you put that, out last year yeah yeah that that one we uh we recorded in 2015 at a, with a record label in Cleveland called Standby Records, mm-hmm. and that was you know it was such a great experience to be able to work with a label. And yeah. by that point, we had just kind of decided that we're a rock band. You know that right. like the songs arguably are simpler than mm-hmm. some of the stuff on Sinners, but uh, they're better written. And Sinners, yeah. I had written a lot of that with either one or person or by myself, separate from the group. But by Beaten Black and Blues, we were all writing it together. And it shows because, as I said, working with collaborators brings out the best writing. Music sounds great. I really had a, a, a blast getting to know it here. I'm looking forward to listening to it more. And uh, if, if people want to go check out your stuff, where can they where can they go? Uh, if you look on Facebook, uh, we have music on there. We are on Spotify and iTunes and Bandcamp and all that crap. But uh, if you just do a search for Asphalt Gray Music, I'm sure you'll find us somewhere. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Go out there. Uh, Pick up an album, all you folks out there in, in, in ra- Radio Land. Radio Land? Is this Radio <laughs> yeah, Land? Sure, is this podcast? That sounds yeah. Right. Are, yeah. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I look forward to listening to some more as well. You guys sound great. Any, any other shout-outs or, or plugs you want to you wanna give? Or? They don't deserve my shout-outs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it shout here out first. To you, shout-out to you guys. I like you oh, guys. Oh, well, thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank we you very much. It. <laughs> And if I ever right. make it down uh, to Central Jersey, I'll, I'll look it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
it hurts. It hurts just a little bit, but uh, you know the unicorns yeah. and the leprechauns <laughs> that are around us uh, in this mythical yeah. land. Um, <laughs> they, yeah, we'll talk. To, we'll talk to you later, and uh, back to the show. Take care, guys. James, that was wonderful. Paul, you've got to go. Just go. <laughs> we we all learned. We lived. We loved. We uh, we all found mm-hmm. a little bit more about the go that I think you were surprised by. I surely was. Yeah. Uh, there was a number of things in there that took me by surprise. <laughs> so there was intrigue, romance. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, let's go and get into the end of this episode so that we can go and get the f*** off this podcast. <laughs> There's uh, oh some shout-outs we'd like to give. <laughs> we have some new people who are who are following us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we'd like to give a shout-out to Christine Kelly. Thank you, Christine. We have Rodrigo Figuera. Figuera? Figueroa. R- Rodrigo Figueroa. We've got Kay Newt, who I'm assuming is from the second Alien movie. I'm sorry, Newt. You don't have to be sorry. It wasn't your fault. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Thank you, yeah. K. Newt. Um, and also, take that army hat off. That belongs to Bill Paxton. And <laughs> if you keep hiding in the rafters so close to the fans like that, you're going to lose a hand. It's fine. It'll all be rendered null and void thanks to Alien 3. Let's not do this, James. <laughs> all right. Alien 3 is is uh, has got some wonderful... One- anyway. Uh, Rosebud Grunge Girl on Twitter. Thank you, Rosebud Grunge Girl. Yes. Thank you to Jane Sutherland. Thank you so much, Jane Sutherland. And uh, Maria V. Garth. Thank you, Maria. Uh, we also have our regulars people who are listening to the show week in week out i added a new one this week james Ooh. and you know what let's start there thank you to mio my on twitter mio my has been i don't know who i he or she is but they keep liking and favoriting and retweeting stuff week in week out mio my has earned a spot as far as i'm concerned james and that's i'm sticking all to right it. paul well fine we've also got the heart of the operation amy hart and the bones of the operation kate mccoy thank you so much guys another mystery person on twitter sa franco you're wonderful i don't know a thing about you <laughs> we've got david poe 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 We've got Eileen Corsano. We, we see, see you over there, Eileen. You're doing your thing. It's all. It's good. It's, all it's good. good. We like it. Yeah. We got Andre Ice Cold Lime Man. Uh, thank you so much, Andre. Thank you, Andre. Yeah, we got Adrian King, the punk rock queen. Yeah. Thank you, Adrian. We got Callie Durga, the third person in spirit always. Yes, thank you, Callie. And, uh, of course, uh, keeping us on the rails, as always, is Jeremy Riles. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. And then uh, you could... And uh, there's so many ways to get in touch with us, James. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. I had forgotten how podcasting works for a brief second there. <laughs> um, yeah, you could get in touch with us on Facebook where there's a lot of good conversation popping off. Paul, it's just popping off. Mm. Um, oh, it's popping. We got, uh, you could find us at facebook.com slash third men. You could tweet at us on Twitter at uh, third men cast or you could tumble down the uh, rabbit holes as it were with us at third men podcast dot com. 
You could go directly to our source where we post our show and show notes, thethirdmen.wordpress.com, or you could send us an email directly, which is as much of the source as you can get, which is thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, you can also visit our iHeartRadio page uh, via Spreaker, that's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, and uh, go to Spreaker.com and search The Third Men. Uh, that's actually the feed that feeds out into the podcatchers so you can you can check us out there you can also go to our youtube page and search the third men on youtube and check out the cool visualizers james is doing there Uh, you can rate review and subscribe to our show on itunes and you can also find us on acast uh, and a host of other podcatchers so there's lots of different ways to interact with us and find us on the internet yeah uh you can also send us listener questions if you like so if you have a question about jack white or third man records or anything really uh we'll well i don't know about anything but you know most things uh we'll we do these listener question episodes every now and again on the show and uh we're, we're putting in another one together now so yeah go ahead and send us listener questions and we'll be happy to include yours on the show if you send us a question we will answer it on the show that's right and as always, we'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti. Thank you so much for the help on our theme song, guys. And we'd also like to thank Susanna Roundtree for uh, the intro and outro of our program. Uh, she makes it sound so professional, Paul, wouldn't you say? Oh, it's so professional. We'd also like to thank our third man this week. Yes, Rob Janos. Thank you so much, Rob. It was uh, awesome talking to you, getting to know you. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Yes, getting to know you. Get to you know Robert Jano. And until next week, James, I will be looking for a home to go to. And as always, I'm going to go and look for a home. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Belly full of potatoes, paneer, and oh God. Uh, what else? What else did I eat? Ringworm, uh, chicken. And, yeah. Oh boy. When did uh, when did Jimmy Carter leave after an abolishing ring uh, guinea worm from your household? <laughs> did you treat Mister Carter kindly? I did, and uh, I'm I'm happy to say that uh, only half of my body is rejecting vaccines. Uh, but the other half is fine. Oh, okay. Which half? <laughs> dot, dot, dot. The sex one is in. The, no, the left half. <laughs> oh, it's in Brooklyn. You're Red going to Brooklyn. leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. That's what... Tip-top testes. Tip-top testes. Trapped and bored in a summer vacation cabbage, ca- cabbage, cabin. 
He believes Michigan to be a social construct, man. <laughs> Probably stop <laughs> all over this guy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> do we have a? Do we have that? Uh, that that track? That's a good question. But if we do, uh, let's let's play a little bit of it here. And if we don't, I'm sorry, I couldn't find it. I'm saying man Wait, a lot. You today. know what? Let's give. That's all right. Let's. Let, you know what? Let's give the people some hot love, Hell James. Yeah. Uh, pod, podcaster co podcaster co-hosts taken aback by <laughs> Bumble Bum Town's small-minded attitude. No, I don't know. Exterminate. I love I love I love dialects. <laughs> when I when I talk like this, yeah. Or when that's... I talk like this, mate. There he is. There's our buddy. Doctor Who. It's a great bit. I, I can't even begin to guess what you're referencing, and I don't want to know, so let's move on. It's fine. Um, oh, I read it in a book. Hogwarts, a history. A plumbing book. I really gotta lay off this English <laughs> accent. I'm bound to be offending somebody. They had written a theme for Taxi. Oh, wait, sorry. They did not do that. Sorry. Yeah. No, they didn't. That might have been Mungo, but I don't know about them. <laughs> There's no smoke. It's just vapor. Like steam. Anyway, look. Mungo Cherry. <laughs> Tried and tested by Mungo Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have another go. 